Hallelujah. Father, we just want to thank you. We want to give you praise. The Bible says the entrance of your word gives light and understanding to the simple. I thank you that this morning your word will give life and understanding to us. Because we have come to you this morning with the simplicity of our hearts. We thank you, Almighty God, that we will receive the engrafted word of God that is able to save our souls. Thank you, Almighty God, for mind that is being renewed today. Thank you for expectation that will be met. Thank you for the impartation of the Holy Ghost. Thank you for being our paracletos. Thank you for being the God who is always with us. May these words this morning, Lord, teach someone, enlighten someone, encourage someone, motivate someone to reach farther into what you have called them to do. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, we pray. Hallelujah. Now, today I'm going to be looking at part two of the message that I studied last week that I said I will not be able to finish. Last week, I preached a message titled, Time's Up, Time is Up, Time's Up, Destiny Calls. And this uh, message was uh, called or pulled from the book of Genesis chapter 41 from verses 1 to 14. The focus really is verse 14 of uh, the, the book of Genesis chapter 41. And this story uh, is a story that we have been looking at for a, a couple of weeks now in the church, looking at the life of Joseph as he moved from uh, the precious child loved by his father all the way in Israel. And he became a slave in Egypt and all the way got thrown into prison. And at the end of the day, he became prime minister at some point in the future. Up until this time in the story of Joseph, it has been one problem after the other. One problem after the other. He got thrown into prison. He got sold into slavery. He got thrown into prison. He got lied against. Um, his hope got dashed when uh, the butler was restored by Pharaoh based on his the interpretation of the gift, interpretation of the dream that God gave him. Essentially, Joseph used his gift to help the butler. But the butler forgot about Joseph. So last week, we started talking about the fact that um, Pharaoh dreamt a dream. He dreamt a dream twice in different dimensions. Um, and he could not find anybody in the whole of Egypt to interpret that dream, those dreams. And then in the middle of that challenge where the king was so troubled, thinking about how is this dream going to be interpreted? What does it really mean? They call out the magicians in the land. All the people who had sorcerers and people that have got all the esoteric knowledge. And no one in the whole of the land could interpret the message. Or the dream, rather. And then the butler remembered on that day. That's Genesis, Genesis chapter 41 verse 9. The butler remembered... That's, that was two years after Joseph had used his gift to help the butler to, got, to get restored back into the, into the service of, of Pharaoh. The butler remembered Joseph and said, oh, I remember my mistakes this day. There was a Hebrew boy that, was, that I met in prison that was able to interpret my dream 
my our dreams the dream the dream that i had and dream that my colleague had in a, in, the, in the prison and the dream came true just as he had uh, interpreted them and the bible says pharaoh immediately called for joseph and in genesis chapter 41 verse 14 the bible says pharaoh sent and called joseph and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. But Joseph first shaved himself, changed his clothes, and made himself presentable. And then he came to Pharaoh's presence. So from this text, there are a couple of things that God showed me here. Actually, three things that God showed me that we can learn from Joseph. One is the preparation. Number two is the presentation. Number three is the presence. So today I'm going to be running through this text. I'm going to start first from the preparation. Now, when you look at the life of Joseph, you will notice one thing here, that this boy God showed, shown a dream when he was 17 years by God. Actually, the dream came twice by God when God said to him, he was going to be a notable man in this world. He was going to be someone that the, the stars and the moons and the sun will bow down to was going to be someone that his brothers will serve as it were. And um, Joseph, obviously, he was naive, told his dreams to his brothers. They hated him and they sold him out, lied to their father that Joseph got killed by a wild animal and Joseph got sold into slavery in Egypt. But the story of Joseph, from the time that God showed him this dream, upon the time when this dream manifested, was a peculiar one. And this story that we can learn from, you know, and I don't know about you, but I know about myself, there are things that God showed me, prophetic utterance that came over my life when I was in, uh, in the university, year one of university, that never got to transpire until many years later. It seemed to me that God is in the business of showing you your future. But he would not normally show you the steps that you're going to take to get there. It's almost, it almost seems to me that God shows you a, a picture, a promise of what he's going to do. And he expects you to depend on him step by step as he takes you to the place where he has called you to be. God will show you a picture of what your life will look like. But usually... He will not show you every single detail of that or that future in the same instance when he gave you the, the, the show you the picture of the future. Why is that? Because God wants you to depend on him as you go along. If God has shown you, for example, you listening to me right now, if God has shown you the things you're gonna become, and he has shown you the thing you the thing you the things, the thing what you have become today, if God had shown you when you were 10 years old, the full details of that and the challenges that you had to go through along the way to get there. Some of you may say, God, I don't want to just keep it. Because at times, God will take you through certain situations in life as he builds your character. No one that I've known who has attained anything of, of noteworthy who hasn't been through challenges it seems to me that challenges of life are engineered to strengthen us, to build character in us, to help us to keep moving forward. So somebody told me the other day, I said, oh, I don't like problem. And I asked a question. 
How could you have a testimony without a test? How could you, how could your life be a story that would change somebody's life if you have, you have had no challenge at all? Now, please remember what I'm trying to say here. I'm not saying God brings problems into our lives. No, 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 no. The Bible says God is a good God. God does not bring problems into our lives. But it seems to me that when you have this great vision, these great things you want to do, that you might encounter some challenges along the way. Some of the challenges might be things that you have to face to get to the other side. But these things, if you persevere to the other side, you are going to build character and you are going to get to the end of what God has showed you. This same pattern we saw in the life of David. David was anointed to be king of Israel, but it took him several years. I think about 17 years or thereabout before he could eventually become the king of Israel. Everyone today who has become someone of not, not someone of, of worth or someone who has stepped into the destiny which God has called them to do has had to go through a, a growth process. I call it a growth plan. And in that growth plan, what you find yourself doing today is necessary for what you are going to need in the future. God plants us like a seed in the ground. And the Bible says, except a, uh, except a seed of wheat dies, he abides alone. Which means when you take a seed and plant it in the ground, that seed has to sh- change shape. The, the shell that you plant will change it to another shape and then it begins to grow. While the seed was in the ground, the seed is going through metamorphosis, going through changes. During that time, nobody sees the seed, but change is happening, growth is happening. So when we circle back to the story of Joseph, at this point in time, Joseph has, has faced so many challenges. Now he's in the process where he's about to step into his destiny on the day that destiny calls. We see all the preparation of the past 13 years is is now about to bear fruit. Now, the Bible says something about the vision that God has placed in our our lives. That this vision is always for an appointed time. Abaku chapter 2 verse 3 says, the vision is yet for the appointed time. Which means there is a particular day when your story will change. But because you and I do not know when the day will be, what we do now in the present moment of our lives is to seize each day. You do your very best in each day because you don't know when the day will be that the story will change. The Bible says the vision is yet for an appointed time, appointed future time. This vision hurries towards the goal of fulfillment. It will not fail. Even though it delays, God says, wait patiently for it. Why? Because it will certainly come, it will not delay. Whatever vision God has given you, there is a time designated by God for his manifestation. And God says, when that day comes, what must you do? You must be ready for it. Therefore, you ought to have prepared Way ahead of time before the time comes. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 16 in the message transition says, 
make the most of every chance you get. In the Amplified Version, it says, making the most of your time on earth, recognizing and taking advantage of each opportunity and using it with wisdom and diligence because the days are filled with evil. Essentially, it's saying here, in order for you to take advantage of each opportunity, you must be prepared. It is too late to start preparing when the opportunity comes. I want you to write that down. It is too late to do what? To start the preparation when the opportunity shows up in your life. It's too late. So to be prepared means you are working on yourself before the opportunity shows up. When you work on yourself, when you prepare ahead of time, it will lead you to automatically be able to seize the opportunity when it shows up. The Roman philosopher Seneca once said, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. Now, as believers, we don't believe in luck. We believe in the favor of God. But God, who has showered you with favor, we still need you to prepare for the future in which he has called you to be. The question, therefore, is, do you know where you're going? You have heard a quote before that if you don't know where you are going, any road will take you there. This quote is often cited, but even though it's not an accurate quote, but it's often cited from the Lewis Carroll's classic children's tale, Alice in Wonderland. Now, in Carroll's altered reality, the conversation between a lady called Alice, which was disoriented, and a Cheshire card, the Mr. Cheshire card, actually went like this. Alice says, will you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? The Cheshire card says, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to. Alice says, I don't much care where. Where? The Cheshire card says, then it doesn't matter which way you go. Alice says, well, so long as I get somewhere. Cheshire Cat says, oh, you're sure going to do that if you only walk long enough. What does that even mean? It means if you walk long enough, you are going to get somewhere. The question now is, will that somewhere be the somewhere that you want to be? Because that somewhere that you get to, that is not somewhere that you plan to be, is actually nowhere for you. That's where I love the quote from Henry Kissinger, which says, if you don't know where you are going, every road will get you nowhere. So God wants you to know where you are going. That's why he places the vision in your heart first. The dream that never goes away, the desire that never goes away, that thought place in your heart that keeps pondering, that keeps talking to you, that, that flashback, that stuff that you keep seeing is God's way of calling you the deep calling onto the deep of your heart to tell you this is the direction of travel. So to prepare for the future that God has for you, you must know the future so that you can prepare for it. So that when the opportunity comes, you can seize the opportunity. Mr. Sig Ziglar of renowned memory says, success comes, sorry, success occurs when opportunity meets preparation. I want to share a story with you. That will be of a blessing to you. 
Success occurs when opportunity meets preparation. Now, in the city of Germany, there's a, sorry, in the country of Germany, there's a city called Berlin. And now, in that city of Berlin, there is uh, an academy of music. The academy of music is for elite children. Now, a study was conducted which divided the school's violinists into three groups. The first group contained the stars, those who, those with the potential to become world-class soloists. The second group contained those described to be merely good or average, while the last group was made up of students who were unlikely to ever play professionally and who intended to be public school music teachers. Members of all three groups were then asked the same question, which is, over the course of your entire career, ever since you first picked up the violin, how many hours have you practiced? The answers given were varied. Everyone from all the three groups started playing at roughly about the same age, at around five years old. In those first few years, everyone practiced roughly about the same amount. About two or three hours a week, that's what they practiced. But when the students were around the age of eight, real differences started to emerge. The students who, were, who would end up being the best in their class began to practice more than everyone else. Six hours a week by age nine, eight hours a, a week by age 12, 16 hours a week by age 14, and up and up and up and up until, the, until by the age of 20, they were practicing that is purposefully and single-mindedly playing their instruments with the intent to get better. Well over 30 hours a week. I want you to allow that to simmer your heart. In fact, by the age of 20, the elite performers had each totaled 10,000 hours of practice. By contrast, the merely good student had total, totaled 8,000 hours. And the future music teachers are total just over 4,000 hours. So, the violinists who did exceptionally well, being the stars, had dedicated a significant amount of time to improve their craft. What does this mean for you? It means that even though God has placed a vision in your heart, you must practice, you must prepare for that vision in order for it to come to pass in your life. If you spend hours binging on useless things that will not have value to your life, whereas somebody else who has a desire in the same field spend hours adding value to their lives by taking courses, by getting mentored, you can be guaranteed one thing. The person who spent time improving themselves and building themselves up in their skills will get to the top of that game compared to the person who spent hours engaging in useless activities. So what does this have to do with Joseph? Joseph from his lifetime, from the time he was uh, was um, 17, up until the time that he became 30, we have seen in his life how he had been involved in different enterprise or different endeavor over time. So Joseph was used by his father to check up on his brothers when the brothers would just waste resources and waste time and just involve in, involved in frivolous activities. It was Joseph. It was Joseph that the father would send 
to go and uh, check up on his brothers. He, he got involved in financial accounting, counting the sheep and checking them out and bringing report back to his father. Actually, learning the skill of reporting, financial accounting and managing key stakeholders, as it were. His brothers, what, what happened? They were rambunctious. They were playing all over the place. They didn't really have time for that. When he came into the house of Potiphar, Joseph was so accountable, so diligent, so successful in what he had to do. He got promoted to become the head of the household. And I've shared this before, that during this period, Joseph learned how to manage a household, how to manage people, how to manage resources, how to manage suppliers, how to manage inventory, how to, manage, how to, how to do appraisal for people that are under him. He began to learn the old, these skills that are required to succeed in life. And by the time he got into prison, wow, Joseph learned the value of relationship management, building relationship with the right people, working with the right people, being in the circle, in the circle of the people that you want to be like. You know, if you want to be like great people, you go into their circle and learn and mingle. Why? Because association, proximity makes a lot of difference. So Joseph, over this period of time, had built up a repertoire of skills that will be required now when you become prime minister. And that is the preparation required. That's the preparation required for you to get to the next level. So what has God called you to do? What is that dream, that vision in your heart? How much hours, how much time have you dedicated to be the very best in that field? Here's something I want to say quickly. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter your, your, your educational pedigree. It doesn't matter what it is, where you've come from. If you spend time to hone in and sharpen your skill and prepare for the field that God has called you to be, you are going to get to the top. Why? Because the Bible says a man's gift will make room for him. I'm going to explain that in a moment when I go to point number three. So point number two. Point number two, we've looked at the preparation of Joseph. Point number two, we want to talk about the presentation. Let's go back to that chapter, uh, verse 14 of Genesis, Genesis chapter 41, verse 14. The Bible says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. On the day when destiny calls, things happen very, very quickly. Joseph was brought out hastily out of the dungeon. Why? Because nobody could solve the problem. But now Pharaoh has heard that there is a Hebrew boy in prison who could solve this problem. So they, they broke all protocol and brought him out. I don't know whether they brought him out, you know, on a chariot or they brought him out to the back door. I don't really know how it happened, but they brought him out hastily out of the dungeon. But before Joseph showed up, before Pharaoh, what did he do? He shaved himself. Change his clothes and make himself presentable. So I want to spend some time to talk about it for the next 10 minutes. Joseph shaved himself, changed his clothes and made himself presentable. Why did the Bible record this story, this line item in the Bible? Why did the Holy Spirit impress upon the authors, the writers of this, of this Genesis to do what? To paint this line item. Why is it necessary for Joseph to be presentable? Remember that in the old, if you look at a typical Egyptian, they normally are clean shaven. They don't wear a beard. 
usually don't wear a beard. If you look at the picture of, of, the, of the pharaoh, they might have a goatee, but usually here is shaved, everything looking nice. That is the prevalent culture in which David, uh, Joseph had found himself. So Joseph now, having worked in the household of, 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 of Potiphar, having been in that working as a slave, obviously, in that circle of people, had understood the, the, the culture. The, the the fashion disposition the fashion um uh, the fashion the, the fashion appearance as it were of the people of Egypt he knows how to dress how to look how to present himself so now when he was going to meet the big dog of Egypt he wanted to do what look like them he wanted to present himself like them and this is the power of rapport building when you want to build rapport with people you must so at the subliminal level, behave in a way that look like them. Why? Because people like people who are like them. People like people who are like who are like them. So I remember when I used to sell insurance. I used to sell insurance for uh, American Life, Alico, AIG Insurance. I used to sell like life insurance, and we go into people's homes. You know, we go in to sell life insurance, and you know, um, six six. Um, Critical illness insurance and so on and so forth. When I go into people's homes, people's homes, the first thing I start to look for are pictures. You know, they got pictures of family, family picture where people are sitting together. The picture. Then I start to comment on the pictures. Start to comment about the family life. Begin to you know build and create an environment that will make them to see the value in what I'm, I was about to sell. The value of what of buying a life insurance. So. That is the value of rapport, rapport beauty. When you go, even like people that are looking for work, if you're looking for work, learn to build rapport. I'll give you an example. If, you, if you're in a room and you see somebody um, sitting in a particular way, try to adjust your sitting to sit like they sat. Don't do it drastically where they will know is this guy like a robot trying to copy me. That would be offensive. But you style to do that. So maybe this person cross cross his legs like this. Sit down the way you sat you sat already before. Then gradually after a while as you're talking, take your leg down, take your leg up, you know, from where it was and put it like that. The person will not notice, but subliminally you have you have mimicked their body language. And at a subconscious level, a message is sent to that person's mind like this person, there's something about this person that is like myself. That is rapport building. So Joseph learned, understood rapport building, building relationship with people. And therefore, he wanted to present himself like an Egyptian. So he shaved. Now, remember, a typical Jew, normally they, they love to keep their beards, their beards normally, right? But Joseph showed up just so he can look like one of them. Now, the Bible then says something. That's why he shaved. The Bible then said, he changed his clothes and made himself presentable. Two profound texts. Changed his clothes from prison clothes. Made himself presentable. In order for me to explain this, I want to tell you, run you through uh, uh, an ebook. There's an ebook that I have. It's called Developing a Positive Self-Worth. By embracing your identity in Christ is a, a 10 day ebook that talks about how you can build your self worth 
by focusing on who you are in Christ. Now, there are some things I wrote in the book that I'm going to run through them quickly. One of the things I said in the book was, you may have heard the phrase, looking good is good business. And that is a statement worth embracing. Looking good is good business. Now, listen, God accepts you whichever way you look. You look like a bum, you look rough, you look untidy, you look unkempt. God loves you the way you are. Obviously, God doesn't like you living in, uh, in, a, in, a, in a nasty place or in a place that is rat infested, right? Or in a place that is unkempt. God doesn't like you living like that, but he loves you anyway. Even if you decide to have an environment, a filthy environment around you, God loves you regardless, right? But people judge you based on the way you look or present yourself. And I want you to write that down. People judge you first based on the way you look or present yourself. Remember when we talk about first, first appearance or first, um, yeah, first appearance or first, um, first impression matters, right? First impression matters. You meet someone for the first time, they look so unkempt and roughened. There's a, an unconscious information that passes through your mind. Like, what kind of person is this? So, if you're in doubt, try this exercise. Find a very decent upscale hotel in your city. Go there. Dress like a bum. Dress like, you know, you got um, hair unkept. You have breadcrumbs on your body, on your shirt. You didn't brush your teeth. Everything smells. You look like somebody who is um, a tramp, essentially. You know, you, you don't look nice. Now, record in your book. How you got treated. Maybe you walk up to the reception and say, Oh, I want to book out. I want to book a room here. You might even have uh, some, you know, dope, you know, like Coke, <laughs> you know, coming out of your nose. You know, just look really rough. Check how you are treated. Maybe two days later, go back to the same hotel. Look well dressed, look sharp, wear groomed, looking nice. Notice how you are treated. Now, I can guarantee you. If you try this exercise 10 times, you will get a far better res response or reception in the latter case than in the former. Why? Because our appearances affect us on a personal level and affect those we meet or associate with. Listen, people of God, we live in a world driven by visual perceptions and people judge you first based on the way you look. If, you, if you're in doubt again, ask yourself the question, why do you have advertisers? Why do they use external cues to sell products? I'll give you an example. You've heard the terms, diamonds are forever. A diamond is forever. You have heard it. You have believed it. We have all fallen for the creative genius of excellent advertising. If you measured slogans by the amount of money they generated from thin hair, this slogan, a diamond is forever, might be second to none. Advertising Age magazine named this slogan, a diamond is forever, the best advertising slogan of the 20th century. What do they mean? Well, these ads featured celebrities and upper class members of our society and what they are programming us to believe. What are they saying? If you wear a diamond, you have a great worth. Chances are, if you wear a diamond ring today, as I'm speaking, you will feel good about yourself. But listen, diamonds 
had no perceived value. Use keyword perceived value until after 1938, when De Beers Corporation hired advertising agency NWA and Son to find a way to show up declining sales prompted by the Great Depression. Decades after, it is still a status symbol to buy and own a piece of diamond. Diamonds are not forever because they decay faster than most rocks. But no one will ever listen to that. Almost anyone will be happy to receive or to give diamond-crusted objects as gifts these days. Why? Because it has become a part of our culture and everyone has bought into it. The moral of the story above is this. That through the power of the media and through the power of advertisement, most people now define their self-worth based on some other people's ideas, which usually contradicts God's view on your self-worth. Now, I want to share a personal story with you from my daughter. Some years back, when we were still living in our other house, uh, we took my, my last child, this story is about my last child, we took her out. We took her and her sisters out to do shopping, to update their wardrobes. Now, my youngest child uh, picked up the suit, suit and pants. And, and, she, and when she got home, she wore the suit and pants and it made her look like a savvy executive. You know, immediately she wore the suit and checked herself in the mirror. Guess what she started to do? She started speaking like, acting like a motivational speaker. She began to act like she was on stage, impacting lots of people with her message. The transformation that I saw was incredible. She literally stepped into the role of a well-paid motivational speaker by merely wearing the suit. Now, here's the thing. One way to immediately impress positively on your subconscious to improve your self-worth is by paying attention to what you wear and how you look. If you want to improve your self-worth, at least on a psychological level, start by paying serious attention to what you wear and how you show up. This also requires you to even buy new clothes, but start to wear what you have in a dignified way. Matthew 11, 8. Jesus Christ says this. He says, Look, those who wear fine clothing are found in king's palaces. This means there is a way of dressing or appearances expected of someone who hangs out with the king. Because you are the child of the king of kings, it is important to make effort to be presentable. When you look presentable, there's a subconscious positive feedback loop sent to your mind that further reinforces the way you feel about yourself. So, here's the thing. The way you feel about yourself is crucial to you for you to have a positive self-worth. So, therefore, looking presentable is a positive step in that direction. So, when we circle back to the life of Joseph, what do we see? We see that Joseph was a beloved child of Jacob. But he was sold as a slave into Egypt by his brothers because they were jealous of him. They hated him, the Bible says. Now, Joseph found himself in a prison for a crime he never committed. But after several years, Joseph was called upon by Pharaoh now. When destiny called for, for Pharaoh, the Bible says, Joseph presented himself, made himself to be what? To be presentable. Why did Joseph, Joseph do that? Joseph knew he must look the path. He bathed, he shaved, he washed the field of the prison. 
and change into plain clothes. He made himself presentable. He did not show up like a bomb. He did not say, oh, the way Alu doesn't count. No, he showed up to be respected. Hallelujah. He showed up to do what? To be respected. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, here's the thing. Being presentable is absolutely important. To win business deals, people will look at you the way you are dressed, the way you show up, the way you carry yourself. I want you to know that you're a child of the King of Kings. So carry yourself with what? With respect. Carry yourself with what? With respect. God, even though God placed a high emphasis on our character disposition, people look at us first and assess us based on the way we look. So looking good is good business. Hallelujah. So um, let's look at the third one, the presence. The presence. I think I've got 10 minutes left and I'm going to round up. The presence. Remember the preparation, the presentation, the presence. The presence here is talking about the fact that Joseph showed up in the presence of Pharaoh. Let's go back to the text. Genesis chapter 41 verse 14. The Bible says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. But Joseph first shaved himself, changed his clothes, made himself presentable. We've covered his two items. Then he came into Pharaoh's presence. To be in the presence of a king in a, in a, is a place where your service is needed. To be in the presence of a king is to be in a place where your service is needed. And that is a great thing. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 22, Proverbs 22 verse 29, the Bible says, do you see a man, and it could be a woman, all right? Do you see a man skillful and experienced in his work? He will stand in honor before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. What is this telling us? This is telling us that if you are so good at what you do, you will not stand before ordinary people. And I've spoken about when I started sharing about being prepared, that you have to be diligent. You have to be diligent in what you do. When the Bible says a man's gift will make room for him, or a woman's gift will make room for him, it's talking about your gift that you have will create space for you. Now, I'm going to use this analogy. Suppose... Everything is crowded. Sorry. Suppose everything is crowded where you are. You want to plant a seed of um, of banana. Just making that up. But every, everywhere is crowded on the ground. If that banana, if the, if, the, if the seed that you have is not of any worth, you will not bother to create space in the ground to be able to plant it. Because... It has no worth. Excuse me. But suppose what you have, you have been told that if you plant it, the fruit that will come out of it, when you sell it, it will pay off all your debt debt, and you'll be so rich for the next five years. What are you going to do? You are going to have to take some things that are, of, uh, that are not of so much importance. Take them away and plant that one in there. A man's gift will make room for him. 
A woman's gift will make room for him. But it's not just ordinary gift. It is the gift that has been built up so much so that it cannot be ignored. That is really key that I want to draw, draw in. If you have a gift and you have spent time to hone that gift, to be so good in that gift so that you cannot be ignored. When you show up and there's a problem, that's what happened Joseph's time. There was a problem in Egypt and nobody could solve the problem. But because Joseph, by the grace of God and by his own cooperation with God, had a gift that was second to none, that nobody could contend with, they made room for him. They made, they opened the door for him to speak to Pharaoh. Remember two years before, he had tried to go through this guy, the butler, but he was forgotten. Remember, many years before then, he was a servant in the house of Potiphar. He was a nobody, right? But he was diligent. He was building his skills. He was trusting God. He was cooperating with God. And then when there was a problem that nobody could solve, and it was only Joseph that had the grace and the gift to solve it, they opened what? The door for him to see Pharaoh. He didn't have to beg. He didn't have to write letter. He didn't have to say, oh, please, can you? No. Come and see the king straight away. Now, here is a thought that I want you to think about. In the country where you are, if a new government comes to power, the government will need who? Advisors. When the Bible says, see ye a man who is diligent in his work, he will not stand before ordinary people. He will stand before kings. What does it mean to stand before kings? It means to be an advisor to kings. To be so good at what you do that you advise kings, you advise a president. Now, some of us here may never in our lifetime be in that position where we advise presidents. But I want to show you something that God has been showing me lately. But what if you have a product that shows up in the president's house? Now, I'm using the word president loosely here. It doesn't have to be president really. It could be anybody your product gets to the point where it's being used all over the world. I'm really praying for that. Praying that you will take this idea that God is planting in our heart here and begin to think of ideas, innovative ideas and creativity, things that you will create that will get to the ends of the earth and that will showcase the glory of God. Joseph came into the presence of Pharaoh. How? His gift has had made room for him. He had been diligent in the use of that gift. Therefore, he's not standing before ordinary people. It is time now for God to elevate him. And that gift brought him to the presence of Pharaoh. Just like that. In one day. In one day. The same way is going to happen for you. In one day, your story will change. But it is what you do today on a day-by-day basis... Before that day shows up, that is important. You must be actively using your gift to serve the world, to serve other people. So that on one day, your gift will be called out for. Now, here's another thing I learned. If you don't serve other people with the gift you have today, how would somebody remember to, to, to recommend you in other places? Let me say, explain it in a different way. If God has given you a gift and you have an audience of one or audience of 10 to use that gift for, do the work so much with so much uh, um, 
compassion, so much care for the people that God has brought into your life. Because you don't know whether that person in two, three, four years time will be the person that God will use to usher you into your what? Into your destiny. So that's the reason why there are no chance encounter with God. If somebody comes into your life, that somebody has, God has brought somebody into your life, be so good, be so impactful in their lives, in their lives, that when it is, when, when, when it has a time in the future and they have to remember you, they remember you for good. Then when they think about you, they think about how good you have been to them. Please, you are not doing this to curry favor. You are doing this because the Bible says, cast your bread upon many waters. For you don't know which one will come back to you with a reward. Your life is a gift. Your life is a seed. The things you do are seeds that you plant in the ground that will go out and come back and bring results. But you don't know which one it is. Joseph here we see used his gift. Be so good that you cannot be ignored. Be so good. That you cannot be ignored. Someone may not like you, but if you are so good at your craft, you will stand before great people. Your gift will make room for you. But in order for this to happen, remember, work on your gift and be prepared for the opportunity. Don't waste your life. Listen, the opportunity will come. The opportunity will come one day, but you must be prepared for it. If we look at scriptures, we see that people who are skilled, who are gifted, and who use their gift, who hone in on their gift, who sharpen their gifts, they are always called into special service. In the lives of King David and King Solomon, we saw that there were people who are skilled warriors. They were called into, uh, into, into to build what the 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 the, the, the armies of, of Israel during his, during their time. But there were also people. Artists, craftsmen, artisans, workers in wood and precious metals. They are making things of beauty for the temple in Jerusalem. They had skilled musicians for temple service. Keyword, skilled, 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 skilled. Work on your gifts on a day-by-day basis. Find out what has God called you to do. Then make up your mind that every day you are, you are going to work on it. Every day you're going to spend something on it. It might be an hour. It might be half an hour. Be consistently doing that. I guarantee you, if you do that for five years, there's absolutely no way you will not get to the top of that game. You've got to spend time on it. Spend time on it. Don't put it on the shelf. I'm going to do it tomorrow. No! Your life is a gift. Work on it every single day. Amen? So when God says, stand before kings, he's talking about serving kings. Now, here's the thing. In the, in, the, in the work of the, bu- the building of the temple in Jerusalem, God was calling upon skilled people. When they wanted to build that temple, God, was, God himself was calling upon skilled people, people who are skilled at what they do. Why do you think it's going to be different in, in our generation? There are mountains to climb. There are mountains to climb and conquer. And God is expecting you to be so good at what you do that he can trust you to conquer the mountain. Hallelujah. There, there were people that, apart from the people that were building temples, people that are skilled in what they do, 
you know, with their hands and stuff. Do you know there are people that the Bible calls the sons and daughters of Isaac? These people were brain workers. They were brain workers. The Bible said they are men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. These people are people we call military advisors. They were brain workers. They understood the times. They had special insight to the times in which they lived. They had knowledge of what Israel should do. Therefore, they were able to recommend a good course of action. As we live here, I want you to know something. There are mountains to conquer. There are industries to, to conquer. You may not be a pastor running a church or doing like what I'm doing. But there's no one of you here today who has no gift. There's not one person that God has created who has no gift. So there's a desire in your heart. There's a thought in your heart. Don't minimize your gift and say, I don't have anything. No, that gift that God has given you. Begin to aim high in your mind to use that gift to serve people. Not just at the low level, at the very top level in this world. Begin to desire it. One of my great mentors, Miles Moreau, I was so impressed with his life. You know, this man was so focused on leadership that he was one of the best in leadership during his time. And guess what? Kings and ministers call him to come and give them counsel. That is where my prayer is one day that I, your pastor, will be in that place where I'll be counseling, you know, prime ministers and presidents and telling them what to do. It's a desire of mine and I'm working on it. I paid for courses in leadership. I'm working on myself on a daily basis to get to that point. You can do the same. Yours might be in cooking. Yours might be in artistry. It might be in drawing. Imagine if you're so good at drawing that your pictures can hang in the hallways of different governments in the world. In the world. Now, here is the thing that God is telling me as I begin to round up. And I shared this in church a couple of times. In fact, I shared it yesterday at, at, at the prayer meeting in the morning. I said, there is a new wave of evangelism that God is about to do. This new wave of evangelism is not going to be about just dropping tracks on the street. It's going to be men, women, boys and girls who are so gifted, who have, have worked on their gift, who have been diligent in what and, and pursuing the gift that God has placed in them to the point where they will begin to conquer different mountains. Listen, God needs Christians, diligent Christians, gifted Christians, Christians that are not lazy, that are doing excellent stuff in journalism, in media, in law, in government affairs, in science, in medicine, in finance, in finance, in education, even in the church. Christians should be making major contributions in all of these fields. Why? Why is it important? Because you carry the gospel with you everywhere you go. When you are skilled in your work, it will open doors for you. And it will open doors for you for your faith to spread. It will help you to build a reputation for Christians as useful people. This is my heart desire. 
that Christians are no longer going to be seen as a low caste of this earth. My desire, my prayer is that Christians will be people that will be found at the top echelons of power in every industry. That by virtue of the position that God is going to place us, we are going to be able to spread the gospel because we now have the influence. But people of God, if we are not diligent, if we are not working on our gift, if we spend so many times in prayers, going from one night vigil to the other, but we don't sharpen our skills, it's not going to happen. God is saying to you, and send me to you, and he's talking to me too, to say, listen, it is time now to sharpen your skill, to rise up, use your gifts. God is ready to step, take you to the top in your career, in whatever you have chosen, but you must be diligent. You must be what? Diligent. And the picture that God showed me here is a new wave of evangelism is about to happen. And God is looking for children, his children, that will step in and use their gift and carry that gift and embrace that gift. Amen? So that's so much so that they can be so good they cannot be ignored. And God says, I need these people in every industry so that my children can rise up to the top of that industry and influence generations yet unborn. And because you are a Christian, you are able to help to change policies. You are able to help to change policies. For example, you think about some things going on, some policies being made in this country today, or whichever country where you find yourself. Some of the policies are totally ungodly. But if you don't have Christians in the place of influence, how are we able to rise up as a community and say, no, we forbid that it's not going to happen? What I'm sharing with you today, I don't want you to ever forget it. I want you to hold, fact, listen to this message over and over and over again because this is the, this, this is a new wave that God is about to do. God is about to raise up generations of men, men, women, boys and girls that understood their identity in Christ, understood the need to be tenacious and diligent in their work, understood the fact that God needs them to rise up to the top of their game, understood that they are able to spread the gospel better, faster when they are in place of influence. I want you to understand that there are some people that will never come to church. But if you are in their circle and they see the light of God in your life, they will listen to you. The other day, you know, a sister of ours uh, works in investment banking. No, no, no. Fintech company. And she was there. She was doing some, um, some, some work for them there. Maybe like one of the directors of compliance or something. And she t- gave me a beautiful testimony of how, you know, they had these problems that nobody could solve, right? And she came there and through the power of God, she was helping them to solve the problem, solving the problem. And to the point where one day the CEO says, oh, if, if so-so-so and so is involved, it's not a problem. Don't worry about it. It's going to get solved. And then one day she called her and said, can you get me a Bible? You know, the day she gave me the testimony, I was dancing where I was. I was saying, wow, this is, this is the kind of testimony I like to hear. Why? My heart is with the marketplace. I want to see you, boys and girls, men and women, people of God, in those top positions, influencing nations for the kingdom. That is my heart desire. My heart desire is not just coming to church. No, come to church, get trained, but go to that place and show them there is a God in heaven. Let it not be said that Christians are poor, we have, no, we have no gift, we have no value in this world. Let it not be said that we have no invention that we have created. Let it not be said that we have not changed lives. Let it not be said, not in your generation. And now the question is, are you ready? Will you take up this, on, this, 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 this thing that God wants to do? Will you be a part of the movement that God is about to do? 
That is the picture that God showed me. Will you be a part of the movement of what God is about to do? And people have got to do that. You cannot be lazy. You cannot afford to say, oh man, it doesn't matter. You cannot have to say, okay, you just only prayers. No, prayers, prayers alone is not enough. You got to pray, but you got to walk. You got to walk. You may not literally stand before kings, but your work might. Your work might. The product you've created might. You might work for the government. You might be advisors to government. People of God, aim to be like the sons and daughters of Issachar that know the time. Seek to someday be a wise giver of advice based on the deep knowledge of what, has, of what you have done before. Be able to explain the pros and cons of proposed course of action. Be able to help people in authority to, be to, to stop reinventing the wheel. Let me tell you something as a, as a roundup. In the UK here, for the first time we have a prime minister of Indian descent. And I was telling people, they may not like the guy. The UK may not like that somebody who's quote-unquote not native-born British is the one in power. But because they ran into such a problem, economic problem that they could not solve, they had no choice. They had no choice. They may not like him. They may not like the color of his skin. They may not like him. But they had no choice. For now, they have to sit down and watch the guy fix the problem. That's how good you want to be. You want to be so good. People may not like the color of your skin. They may not like you. Who cares? But they like your brain. They like what you have. And they say, we don't, they will, behind your back, they might speak bad about you. But when you are with them, they listen because God has given you the wisdom. I've got Three prayer points I want you to pray as we begin to wind up. Listen, we are coming into a new season. I sense it deeply in my heart where God is desirous to touch people that do not yet know Jesus, but not through the ways we have done church, not through the ways we have done evangelism. It's going to be a marketplace breakthrough. Where in the marketplace where you are walking, you are able to carry God into your marketplace. Because God is going to release into your heart as you desire it. New ideas, new ideas of invention, new ways of solving problems that nobody has solved before. And that by putting yourself out there and using it, many people who do not know Jesus from every walk of life will come to you. I want us to pray these prayers as we round up. That the gift that God has given you will take you before nations. That you choose this day to be diligent, to work on that gift every day. While you are listening to the call of God upon your life. Hallelujah. Prayer number one. I'm reading from Isaiah chapter 60 verse 11. The Bible says your gates will always stand open. They will never be shut day or night. Say with me, I am blessed going out. I am blessed coming in. My gates of prosperity and protection and opportunities are always opened. And they will never be shut in the name of Jesus. Say with me, I am constantly blessed everywhere that I go in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. The Bible here says, the reason why your gates will not be shut day or night is so that people may bring you the wealth of the nations. They are kings led in triumphal procession. This is so beautiful. This aligns with the the the... The, what I just preached now about standing before kings. These kings will come. They will come to your knowledge. They will come to the products 
the advice you have created. They will buy your product in, in China, in, in Hong Kong, in the household of kings and celebrities. They don't know you, right? But they are using your gift. And that gift, because you are a child of God, that gift carries your es- carries the essence of God into their homes, into their computers, and changing lives. Say with me, I decree that God has opened my eyes to business ideas and inventions that will change the world. Say with me, I cooperate with God and I take actions in the name of Jesus. Say with me, I affirm that the wealth of the nations are drawn to me. And even kings, royalties, and celebrities, they use my products in the name of Jesus and to the glory of God. Amen. And the final prayer here is, say with me, in verse 12, it says, For the nation or kingdom that will not serve you will perish. It will, utterly, it will be utterly ruined. Say, my inventions are needed all over the world for the effective functioning of economies and industries in the name of Jesus. I and my gift and talent and inventions are solutions to pro- someone's problems in the name of Jesus. Now, finally, verse 13 says, The glory of Lebanon will come to you, the juniper, the fir, and the cypress together, to adorn my sanctuary, and I will glorify the place for my feet. Say with me, God has beautified me as his sanctuary. I am adorned with the glory of God. The light of God radiates around me, and I'm a carrier of the awesome presence of God. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for being part of service today. It's been a wonderful day to share with you the awesome presence of God, the awesome message of God. Please remember, God desires a new dimension of, 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 of evangelism, of reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people of God, it starts with you knowing who you are and carrying the essence of who you are everywhere you go. Uh, but not forgetting that you have to be diligent. You have to be different. You have to sharpen your skin on a daily basis so that when opportunities come, they have no choice but to put you forward. Praise God forevermore. Father, I just want to thank you for the gift of this day. Being able to share your word with your people. I ask, Father Lord, as we live here, oh God, that we, these words will ring in our hearts. And we will not just be hearers alone, but doers of the word. We'll take this word and run with it. Lord, I yield myself. And I believe that your children also that are listening to this message all over the world are yielding themselves as well to the new move of what you are about to do. To reach people that will never come to church, but they will, we will meet them at the marketplace where we are doing glorious things together in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this and we give you praise. I declare that your children are now empowered to take the right action. Thank you, all of that. They are now getting mentors and help that will help them in this journey. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, who is our paracletus, that will help all of us to get to the destination. We thank you for this, and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, we pray. Hallelujah. Until next time, remember, you are blessed and highly favored.